Hold on a second. Wait, wait, telecast is calling. Hello. Hello. This is he. Hi. Hi. Uh, Mr. Fedoris, we are calling in reference to her. I was wondering if it's okay if you do the thing that we want okay, to Hold on, ma'am. I do not have the tickets. I have a well, if you don't have the tickets, I don't see how we can help you. You need to have tickets, sir. Do you have the tickets? I don't have the tickets. Sir, do you have the tickets in your possession right now? Could you please bring up? Okay. Sorry, hold on. No. not I have the Okay, I just got it. Thank you very much for your help. You're welcome, sir. Please stay on the line for a survey. It's important to us. No. It's Pop Culture. We are heading toward Christmas. I'm John Podhor. It's in New York, elsewhere in New York. Rob Long. Hi, Rob. Hi, John. What was that? Gob Culture. Who, who is that? Is that like that's, that's Gob Culture from, from the rest of the development. And, oh, okay. or that's Job. It's spelled Gob. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't watch the rest of the development. I don't even know why I went to that riff. I am so punchy. Jonah Goldberg in Washington. How are you? I am fan freaking fantastic. Wow. That's impressive. That's great. That's great. So here's what I've done today so far. Okay, I did a commentary. Wait, I just want to notice something. So he just, Jonah just said, "I'm fan freaking tastic," yeah. and nobody said why. He said, yeah, okay, well, I want to complain because I want to complain." Oh, oh. <laughs> whoa! <laughs> what a, what a, what a, what a round. sharp departure from your normal <laughs> yeah, approach. <it> is. <laughs> I did a commentary podcast. Do you want to talk about what's good for the Jews too? <laughs> Nothing yeah. is good for the Jews. <laughs> Let me just stipulate that. Nothing is good for the Jews. Particularly D.C. public school librarians, but we can get to that. <laughs> someone, <a> <laughs> someone here. That's right. That's right. I mean, this, that is literally like an episode of South Park. <laughs> this thing where the, where the third graders in the D.C. public schools are asked to act out the Holocaust and not to tell their parents. The kid who was told to play Hitler was also told to commit suicide. To my yeah, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's amazing. Like, normally, if you told a third grader to commit suicide for almost any other reason, that alone would be a huge scandal. But somehow there's a carve-out if you tell him to be Chinese Hitler. <laughs> you just pretend to commit suicide and really go live your life in Brazil. I, uh... All right, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you about my day. No, no, tell us about your day, John. Well, you're, about we're gonna ha- we're gonna find out about it anyway. Yeah, it's gonna be apparent. Maybe okay. like details. Because I, I can tell you about my day last week. I had a day Go last ahead. week. You tell me. No, tell no, me about your day. Really? Tell me about your day. I want to hear about your you day. First? Yeah. You got, I got to register my car in New York State. Oh, no. I also saw I have to get it inspected. And oh, I also God. have to get inspected for insurance. I'm getting very nervous now. Yeah. So I go to the, I call the garage. Please get the car ready. I get to the garage. They say, oh, your car didn't start, man. When was the last time you drove it? I'm like, well, probably, actually, honestly, September. I really haven't driven it. Well, that's why it does. So we gave it a jump. So now it started. Now don't turn the car off. Keep the car running. So I sort of like go to the insurance, the inspection place, and I say, okay, can you inspect it? The car, don't turn the car off. So they go, oh, we can inspect it. So they do the inspection and it fails. And they go, oh, did you just get this jump started? I said, yes, that's why I said don't turn it off. And I said, yeah, yeah, well, you can't. It just, it's gonna, it's, there's not enough information in the computer, so it's not going to work. Until you drive it. So I'll show, like, should I just drive it around for a little bit? Yeah, 80 miles. <laughs> like, okay, 80, I can drive 80 miles. I'm like, well, where do I want to go? Do I want to go somewhere? Like, I can't go to a place and then get out because I can't turn the car off. So I drive to, like, uh, Bedford, which I don't know why. I just thought, uh, like, they got horses Bedford. there. It's very nice. Yeah, it's very so nice. Drive, they got horses. The horses. 
Um, I smoked a cigar. I drove home, and then I got the car inspected, and it passed its New York State inspection, of course. And then they had you the insurance inspection, which is photographs. Like, oh, no, you can't do the photographs now. The app goes down at 4 p.m. <laughs> the app goes down. Like, oh, yeah, it goes down at 4 p.m., so you got to come back. All right, well, I still have an appointment with the DMV. I drive to the DMV, park, run in to get my appointment. I have everything I need. And the lady says, oh, you need the title to this car. You need the title? Like, I, it's insured. It, it's, it's, it's registered in Maryland. I'm just, transferring the, I'm just transferring the registration. Yeah, you need the title. Like, well, I, 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 I had a car before this that I transferred from California into New York State. I didn't need the title then. She said, oh, well, you did, but they just probably didn't ask you for it. Could you not ask me for it? Like, no, I already asked you for it, so now I need it. So now I have to go get the title, and then I've got to go back. So in a day, I accomplished nothing except I looked at Bedford and watched people apple-picking. But I could not apple-pick myself. Because you couldn't turn the car off. Well, two things. One, you should have just had the battery replaced. That takes like 15 minutes, and you would have had no, no problems. No, no, but it still would have had problems because the computer needs to be reset. Secondly, that's much worse than my day, so I'm 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 not going to go into my day because then it's going to just sound really? like I'm I'm whining and and whereas that's a really <laughs> terrible day. Anything that involves you know what, it was okay day. You trouble know why? Because, yeah. with cars and government agencies is yeah. worse than anything except the Holocaust. The I Holocaust is worse, but that's that's close. Let, let's just face it. Okay, what else? All right, so you, so Jonah, you're fan freaking fantastic. <laughs> I'm fan freaking fantastic. Um, uh, finished talking to all the youngins at the dispatch about their salaries and their performances, and it's it's I, you know, I, I trained myself for 20 years at National Review to not have to deal with the humans very much, and doing this was very stressful. And now I'm done. I got the column done. Went to the cigar shop. My daughter's home from from college, making oh. Christmas cookies upstairs. It smells like love. And, uh, and now I'm here with these two great yeah. gentlemen to record an episode of Clop. And I get to rub something in your Wait, face. Wait, before you do, can because, I just say, you uh, see, John? Yeah. Life is as beautiful Christmas time as, you make it, as you make it. And at any point during the employee uh, conversations where you tempted to say, I suppose you'll want Christmas Day off, too. <laughs> it's a excuse to pick a man's pocket every year. Uh, those kinds of uh, emotions did run through my... Um, oh, I know they did. My heart. I mean, I... I uh, You're a small business owner. Yeah, and, like, I was just talking to a friend about this stuff, and he was telling me about how, at where he used to work, he was assigned the duty of talking to the boss about, like, what was the... Uh, what, what the young staff, how the young staffers felt, and the boss said, oh, and he said, and, and he said, you know, the, the, the youngins want more feedback, and the boss said, we, we do that direct deposit thing now, right? And he said, yeah, and he said, well, you know, it goes in like a check, it goes in like every what, two weeks, every month? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, that's your feedback. Right. If you stop getting that, that's feedback too. Um, you know that. But anyway, I, I, that's not the. We're a very nurturing environment at the dispatch, so that was not our approach. Regardless, I would say, and this is a very rough estimate. I didn't take notes. I didn't, like, put notches on the wall every time we did. But we probably subjected Glop listeners to 783,000 conversations 
about how movie theaters were doomed. COVID's going to kill the movie theater. Movie theaters, blah. Yeah. I miss movie theaters. It's so sad. And um, we just saw, saw, despite massive new uptick in COVID panic among elites, which I agree with John entirely is, is largely misplaced, um, Spider-Man yeah, have the huge. third biggest box office returns of all time. People want to go to the movies. And that was my yeah. position all along was that we may lose some theaters, but at the end of the day, people like going to the movies and they're going to want to go to the movies. And and I was right and you guys were wrong. No, wait, wait, wait. I don't agree with I don't, you. I don't, I don't think I was wrong. I was saying the same thing. If you put movies in the movie theater, people want to see that they'll see it. That was why they didn't go see that weird uh, Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet or whatever. Or that West Side Story movie. Yes. Or that West Side Story movie, yeah. That's, I think that's exactly right. <laughs> now, uh, please, I, I, I now would like to reserve the movie's bad. To like, John, time. We're not saying the movie's bad. Because you know that in 1587, uh, <laughs> wow. William Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet. One of his, in fact, I believe his earliest tragedy, which formed the source material. Okay. Wow, for a minute. Here's why. I really thought you were Here's why. Here's why. you're too real. Here's why you're right wrong. Okay, Spider-Man No Way Home is an enormous sensation, mm-hmm. right? Nothing else in release is making any money. Uh, the Disney movie Encanto didn't make any money. This weekend, Nightmare Alley, made by uh, Guillermo del Toro, starring Bradley Cooper, who has had like four straight $200 million movie hits, made $3 million. West Side Story is West Side Story. It Declined 60% after a horrible $10, $10 million opening. It's going nowhere. Marvel movies open. Spectacle movies open. Pre-sold movies that are the third in a chain or seventh in a chain well, of movies maybe. that have been pre-sold this way. They may open. It is really unclear whether any original property or anything outside of that universe is ever gonna is ever gonna do the kind of business that we that we expect it to, it is also or that right. we would like it to. It is, um, I, I, I would uh, I would say this: um, the fact that people went to go see a movie, a huge, uh, and made a gigantic hit out of it, suggests that people still want to go to theaters. They they're not about they're not averse to going to the movie theater because they'd be averse to going to the movie theater no matter what. Um, if they think they're going to get sick and with this deadly disease that is. Um, racing through the world, they're not going to say, well, but, you know, I like Spider-Man. They're just not going to go. So the, the argument that the movie theaters are dead is, is is Hollywood is dead in the sense that they cannot launch a movie. They, 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 they cannot rely on the default setting of let's go to the movies. Instead, it's let's go see this specific movie. And again, I say if you put a movie – and I'm not saying it has to be a good movie, that this is a quality assurance or quality control issue. If you put a movie in that people want to see, they will go see it. The, the third – the tertiary question, which is the most important question and the worst question in Hollywood because there is no answer. You cannot predict the answer to this is – what is it that people want to see on any given weekend? You simply do not know. They simply have never known. They have convinced themselves for almost 100 years that they've known. They have all sorts of like algorithms and metrics and all sorts of nonsense. All of those things are, were predicated in the idea that people are going to go to movie theaters anyway. So how do you get them to go to your movie as they walk up to the multiplex or not? This is an impossible thing to know. It is terrifying for people to face the unknown. Therefore, they prefer to come up with yeah, goblins and superstitions and focus groups that prove it. Um, 
the, the people who should be this shook, is all true. The people who should be shook are the shareholders of these large entertainment companies who believe the nonsense they hear in the annual reports and from their executives saying, no, we figured out with our audience, we're very close. They love our brand. They, the audience is really connecting to the Paramount Plus brand. Like that, <laughs> no, no, they're not. There is only one brand. It really is. In show business to which people are connected. Now. And even not. Maybe two. And even maybe not, two. And even not that consistently. Right, but it, maybe two. That is Marvel. Which can air mm-hmm. like uh, Eternals Black Widow was a was a blunder, Disney, yeah, or maybe Pixar. Disney and Pixar sort of together. Or Disney, like Disney is Marvel. All three now, owned right? by one. So. That's right. Well, but it isn't. In the, right. In that's, the that's, and, and to the extent yeah. that to the extent that Disney melds with Marvel, it will ruin what is what is specific about Marvel. Right. That's 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 the great secret. Disney is also Star Wars. And Star Wars is a brand that has maybe been fatally compromised by its mishandling over the last six or seven years. But I'm saying there is this one brand, and it is Marvel. And all things being equal, the public trusts Marvel to deliver entertainment. But I will say this about Spider-Man, The Eternals, and Shang-Chi, the three recent Marvel productions. Shang-Chi was a big hit. Would have made twice the amount of money pre-COVID times, but it was a big hit. And also had a The Eternals. Right. Well, there's, yeah. The Eternals was a disappointment. Probably always would have been. And Spider-Man No Way Home is a huge hit. What's interesting about them? Shang-Chi is good, and Spider-Man is really good. And the Eternals stank. And the word went out that the Eternals was bad. The trailers looked bad. The word of mouth when people came out of the theater was, this is really no good. The word of mouth on Shang-Chi was, wow, this is really good. I, I don't even know who this character is, but this movie is a lot of fun. And Spider-Man, everybody loves this guy, Tom Holland. They made two really good Spider-Man movies before this one, and this one knocks it out of the park. So right. quality does matter. Sure. Like, you can't predict. Like, things can be hits that are lousy, right? Michael Bay makes lousy movies, and for years he made hits. Like, it's not, it's not that you can't make a lousy hit. It is that in some indefinable way quality matters. It's just that you can't manufacture it from the, you know, you from the factory you floor. You cannot reverse engineer a hit. But speak that of that said, I've been seeing these weird. I don't know what I've been. I don't know where I've been seeing them. Maybe like on Twitter. Is this a Twitter thing? Is this a TikTok thing? Is you know, as you, as you know, I'm very connected to the youth, so I'm I'm on TikTok. The 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 Nick Nicholas Cage movie, where he plays Nicholas Cage. Oh, the Nicholas. Yes, it's coming out in like two months. Yeah, it seems like a little early for the trailers, but it does seem kind of funny. He's just Nicolas Cage. He's a he, he's broke Nicolas Cage playing a broke Nicolas Cage who needs to make money. He goes to Sunset Tower Hotel, $600,000, which I can tell you is somebody who has often stayed at the Sunset Tower Hotel, is not difficult to do. You simply have to order breakfast. But um, it, it seems kind of funny. It seems like kind of a funny uh, movie. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm thinking positively, John. Notice that? Yeah. No, no, no. But by the way... I've been going to the movies, and I've seen some very, very, very good movies. There's a movie out right now called Licorice Pizza by Paul Thomas Anderson. It is a sort of memory of the San Fernando Valley in the early night, really in 1973 when gas lines were present. And it's a story about a, about a sort of 15-year-old high school hustler, actor, an entrepreneur who falls in love with a 25-year-old sort of um, lost girl. And it is... Great. I mean, it's a little long. It's a little too long. It sort of goes on a little long at the end. 
but it's great. No one's going to see it. I don't know that anybody would have seen it. It's hard to say, but, like, it's not like good things aren't being made. The Last Duel, the Ridley Scott movie with, with Matt Damon and Adam Driver and Ben Affleck, was really good. Nobody really went to see it. Maybe they'll right. see it on, on streaming. I, I don't know. But um, there's a lot of stuff worth seeing. It's just, yeah, people don't want to go back to movie theaters. And let's talk about the expense of it. Like, Netflix costs you, what, $12 a month? Two people going to a movie theater cost 30 bucks, sure. uh, exclusive of anything else. Like, over time, when audiences got out of the habit of spending that money, that's the real question I have for you. You say people will go back. I don't know. I mean, it's like, I, I think I used this analogy before, but I was a huge sports fan. And over the 80s and 90s, when strikes interrupted baseball and football, uh, some cases for an entire year, I lost my interest. Like I found yeah, out that the there spell. was life without these sports, and I, I didn't I didn't go back. Yeah, really, I never, you never went want back. to break the spell. People have, have experienced that too with like uh, restaurant tours that I know say that's a problem. You know, when that's one of the reasons why they have like like Keith McNally, who has maybe the most interesting. Instagram feed ever. So Keith McNally has a bunch of restaurants in New York City, very famous restaurateur, um, has been sort of downtown cool forever, opened this blockbuster restaurant in the 90s called Balthazar. It's still open. It's still full. It's still packed. He really knows how to, th- how to basically throw a party every night. He's very careful about um, the service and about the welcoming. It's like he's a, it's a, it's sort of an interesting little new, new aspect of New York City that he and sort of the guy named Danny Meyer also have, which is like if you're there and you're a customer, it doesn't matter whether you're famous. You're going to be treated really well. But it's still a crowded restaurant, and he still has people who go in regularly. Some of them are famous, but some of them are just not famous at all. But they go in regularly to all of his restaurants, and he has a designa- designation on their names. It's called AA, Always Accommodate. Meaning you show up, you don't have a res, you're a regular, you're recognized as a regular, usually on the resi app or something. Um, they they will get you, they'll buy you a drink, they'll do what they can to get you at your table. And, the, and his argument is because they these are people who come regularly and I don't want to break the spell. I want them to continue be, be enchanted, <laughs> keep coming into this restaurant. And just because I'm full one day or they forgot to make a reservation or something, I don't want to break it. I don't want them to, I don't want them to form a new pattern. Because um, they're my bread and butter, not right. you know, celebrities. And the same way, I mean, I heard this very same, basically the very same philosophy from um, an associate rector at a big church here in New York City. Closing those churches for a year, like it kind of broke the spell. Nobody's, nobody's watching online on Saturday, on Sunday morning. They need to go. And they were really terrified when they reopened them that nobody would come back. And now they're really terrified if they have to close them during Christmas week, like, you know, you could break the spell. Yeah. Close them during Christmas week for what? For what? Exactly. Joni, you're, uh, you're, you're muting. You're muted, Jonah. Or maybe you're just not saying it. No, he's saying it. I see his mouth moving. Have you been trying to talk this whole time? Can you hear me now? Oh, that's... Oh, yes. we can hear you now. Thank God. Okay. Your, your voice is treasured. Uh, Don't silence yeah, your voice. Um, um, I'm going to stand by my position. Movie theaters aren't going away. You guys are like, yeah. Are churches going away? Churches are not going away. And uh, you guys just can't help, even during this this, Our restaurants this lovely going away? Yuletide season, you cannot help but 
but peddle your negative ways, Moriarty, and I, 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 re- I reject it. Movie theaters, they're, they're going to stay. That's a beautiful... I, I just want to say of Goldberg the following. It was always said of Jonah Goldberg that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us and all of us. God bless us. And, of course, Jonah Goldberg. God bless us, everyone. And that's why it's very important for me to talk to you about Tommy John underwear. <laughs> I was I going really, to talk to you about Tommy really John underwear, Tommy John and underwear. the ad disappeared from me, so right. I'm going to have to talk but to Rob's you. Rob's wearing it on his head, which is really a weird to, look. It's very yeah. distracting. <laughs> weird is you going on because You don't my, have that underwear to just improv it. Because my ads, are, my ads are my with my ads are <laughs> with that new quick access fly disappearing on me. It looks like Rob has like a hammock underneath his nose. Well, yeah. <laughs> Slow down, sailor. Okay, let's talk about. We got to talk about. We got to talk about Tommy John Sailor. Because look, are you stuck on what to give friends and family this year? Wish them a merry softness and happy new rear with new comfy underwear, loungewear, and pajamas from Tommy John. When your loved ones start their day wearing Tommy John, they're that much more comfortable so they can do everything better. Tommy John's loungewear, luxuriously soft tri-blend and micromodal fabrics means four-way stretch and no limp balls or fuzz. With over 17 million pairs sold, giving the gift of Tommy John underwear and loungewear has become a holiday tradition for families all across the country. 97% of women and men love getting a gift from Tommy John. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Returns and exchanges are free. It's all backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear. It's free guarantee. Get $20 off site-wide right now at TommyJohn.com slash glop. That's TommyJohn.com slash glop for $20 off. Order by December 21st to get it in time for Christmas. TommyJohn.com slash Glop. Seaside for details. And we thank Tommy John for sponsoring the Glop podcast. You know, the thing about Tommy John, when you say they don't just have fans, they have fanatics. It's like every Tommy John customer has an AA after there. So that proves you're listening. Always accommodate. Beautiful. And, of course, there's one, I mean, to be fair, there's another one that's like, like, probably like, Seriously, always accommodate. You know the way everything's inflated. Like there's the, the you got a gold card. Well, there's a now a platinum one. Well, there's now a black one. There's now a, bla- a platinum one with black stripes. It's like you, you're you're never premium platinum number one. Uh, one. How, how, how about the fact? How about the fact that credit cards are now competing with each other to be heavy? Like, let's add a credit card to your that. wallet that weighs eleven pounds. It, that actually cuts a slice through the slot it's supposed to be in. It is one of the weirdest developments of all time. Here, I want to make your wallet more cumbersome, make it harder for you to get something out of your wallet, make it weigh more, and make it ping, ping when it goes through the airport detector. Ping. That's really yeah. great. Thank you so much, American Express, for doing it. Everything else is becoming wafer thin or simply a, 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 a retinal display. <laughs> But they're like, no, no, we've engraved this tungsten cube. It's the heaviest substance. Please, please carry this boulder. Please carry this Moses tablet with you uh, as your identification. Um, Rob, you had... I would not say everything's becoming wafer thin. I mean, I I am not becoming wafer thin. No, you're not. Rob, you had the idea that we should, uh, given our uh, extensive expertise in in all things good, that we should offer some advice to these entertainment companies that are struggling so uh, dearly uh, at this moment. Do you have 
say two golden pieces of advice that you are willing to okay I do. Um, I will, I will first give advice to a, a, a gentleman who probably would, would, doesn't want to take it, but should. And that gentleman is Mr. Rupert Murdoch, who is a lovely person, actually. Um, I would suggest to him he's made one big fat move, which is to get rid of the studio and get rid of essentially his law, his, his LA production facilities, movie studio, all that stuff. And to double down on live events, sports, broadcast TV, and, um, and news. My advice to him would be to bring everybody back to New York. Bring the Fox Broadcasting Network, its development people, its network brass, all the decision makers, bring them back to New York. Make an actual, take an actual stand, get out of L.A. You're going to have to do everything differently anyway. Um, and put on, and, and, and rethink, and put on, a bro- make a broadcasting channel uh, the way... Haley did in the 50s, right? Go for the big, go for the 25, 30 share. Um, and forget and, 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 and symbolically turn away from Los Angeles. That's what I would do where I see that there's always going to be places to make your, to buy your show. People will always be coming and pitching to you. You don't need to have a studio. You can make almost any deal with them you want in success. So why not? And, and you are recreating a business the way it used to be. So do it. You know, as Napoleon said, if you're going to take Vienna, take Vienna. Do it. That is my first um, piece of advice. My second piece of advice is for Sherry Redstone, the owner of uh, Viacom CBS, and that is to sell Viacom CBS to literally anyone else. <laughs> well, I think that's that's a general piece of advice everybody is giving giving to her, right? Is that is that that. No, I mean literally anybody else. <laughs> okay. So, like, do you have do you have a a, a proffer? Uh, well, I I actually you know to me it feels like I, I the, the streamers seems to me that one thing they don't have and they're discovering how much they need is a promotional platform. But launching a show and launching a show or a title on a streamer is really expensive. It's really expensive, which is why there are shows on, you know, whenever you talk to somebody and they go, well, what are you watching? And you mention a show on Netflix. Like, I haven't heard of that. That's why people have to, like, Google the name of the show to find out where it's on before they turn on the TV. So um, what you, it, it's, it'd be cheaper for them to buy and to essentially subsidize a promotional platform so that's ad-supportive, basically a broadcast network or a big cable, uh, a giant cable, you know, collect cable, chain of cable channels. And use that to promote their subscriber-based. Okay, material. wait. That's so you're suggesting, if I if I read this correctly, Netflix I do, I think. should buy CBS yes. to use yeah, CBS as a commercial mm-hmm. for Netflix. Yes, exactly. It's kind of inspired, exactly. right? If you sort of yeah, think about it, yeah. like they show one episode of Squid Game, and then they say you can watch the rest of it. On Netflix. For a whole season. Or show half right. a season where you really you know, show. If it it's your matter. company, you're getting it's the same. same. It doesn't matter where you get the ratings. Yeah. Right. But why should it buy CVS, which I have to believe is expensive to buy compared to many other channels, which are not expensive to buy, and then just call it the Netflix channel and do the same thing? Eyeballs. The, the eyeballs are much bigger still on broadcast than they are on cable. Well, I will say this one thing about Netflix, which is that it eludes 
regulation. It eludes regulate. It is not. It is outside the regulatory framework yes. of the United States government as a as a private entity. If it buys a network, suddenly uh, it is you know uh, subject to the provisions of the 1934 right. Communications Act, and that I assume they really would not. Yeah, that's want. true. This would make a great little plot device in a remake of Working Girl. Just remember in Working Girl, right? The, they were all worried where they might, that he wanted to buy television networks and they were too expensive, and so instead he did radio. But like it was a way to get it around some of the SEC stuff. And so yeah. that's all I have on that. But I I, yeah, I, I, I I have more concrete advice for for Hollywood. Um, more frontal nudity. Um, I should say more of your own? frontal nudity. No, no, no one wants that. Okay. No one, no one, no one wants that. Um, more, um, more well placed gratuitous sex and violence, um, and less concern about intersectionality type things. And I, I think that if you could go back and remake, not re- do remakes, but make movies, yeah, like. They did in the the seventies and eighties and parts of the nineties that were just you know like don't have to worry about Jason Bourne actually hating America just like make a yeah those kinds of movies I I, I those kinds of movies are good movies and I think so the cast of mind uh, that still governs the way we think about popular culture or the way let's say the elite chattering class thinks about popular culture is so high bound and retrogressive. Um, and could be destroyed in a heartbeat if the streamers would actually tell us what people like to watch and give us hard data. Mm-hmm. Here's what I mean. Yeah. For many years, before there was really serious demographic data, the first two or three decades of, say, the television industry, people in television genuinely believed things like, you know what people really want? A lot of Broadway theater. Let's put some Broadway theater on. Network that is really going to sell. People are going to watch Broadway theater, or they'll watch this, or they'll watch that. And as time went on, and advertisers got more sophisticated, market research got more sophisticated, they discovered that a lot of the things that they presumed people liked—symphony orchestras, classical music, theater, like the lively arts—had absolutely no serious following. It's interesting to think we sort of take that for granted. People genuinely didn't know that until late in the 1960s, early in the 1970s. As time has gone on, that knowledge has gotten more and more and more detailed, right? But people are still operating on the basis that what they think and what they know and what their friends talk about when they live in New York, in the centers of in Los Angeles, are what people in the country care about. So according to them, everybody likes succession. Everybody likes The Handmaid's Tale. Nobody can stop talking about Mad Men, all of that. And as we know, as we talked about ad nauseum, you know, The Walking Dead had 12 times the audience of Mad Men. Yellowstone has 14 times the audience of Succession. But that doesn't penetrate. One of the reasons in the contemporary day that we don't know enough about how to destroy this bubble uh, that the entertainment press is in and that the sort of chattering classes are in is that the new flood of data that exists from these places that know every single thing about what you do on their service for every minute, within every moment, every zip code, every building, everything, they do not share. If they actually did decide to share it, if they decided to explain how their algorithm works and what it was that people actually like to watch, there would be a revolution in consciousness such that 
nobody would make shows like Succession eventually because, in fact, 800,000 people watch them. And if you spent in the opportunity cost, there is just too high. Now, it's not for HBO. It's a whole different calculus. But I'm just saying in general, people don't know. People think that they can't help themselves but think that what they care about and what their friends care about. Yeah, that's normal, though. It's totally normal. Also, you said penetrate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Game of Thrones, I know we're not going to talk about Game of Thrones, but, like, Game of Thrones <laughs> had lots of violence and, and, yeah, so squid and game, nudity. Squid Game right. is the Squid Game, which yeah. came out of nowhere, is a show from South Korea. They didn't spend a nickel promoting Squid Game. Everybody on no stars. Everybody on the planet went nuts yeah. for Squid Game, which is crazy violence. Yeah, but there's no nudity. No, there's nudity. some nudity. Um, I mean, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not, it's not attractive nudity, but it's nudity. <laughs> um, yes, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I meant implicit when I. When, when <laughs> it's when kind of attractive. There should be nudity involving me. I said no, 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 not no, that no, kind no. of nudity. Nudity people oh, will pay right. for. That's uh, right. I, I would say yes. I think you're right, but I also this, this should not be news to anybody. Even when they're doing Game of Thrones, you know, they have a sort of you know these ponderous scenes where they had to explain where well, this kingdom and that kingdom come from the book of this. They always made sure there were two nude girls making out right. in the back, right? Something of sex position. That's yeah. what we used to call yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. There was a, there was a um, famous uh, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, uh, and he was like, I remember one of the movies he made with John Huston, where I think he was, he was you know, he's the, it made him in the big sleep, where he basically, the camera's on him and goes, that's when you knew you had to go and blah, 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 blah. And he gets, it's just, it's just exposition, pages and pages and pages. And he said, well, we're going to have to put two camels f***ing in back <laughs> so people are, have something to pay attention to. Um, and that was that was. I'm, I'm so, sure I'm going to be bleeped out, but you know what I mean. Hey, it's your it's your uh, channel. You, you it's your it's yeah, your I'm show. You to, do whatever you want. I need to get the ratings up. Quentin Tarantino um, told this story on the on a recent Conan O'Brien podcast about this director from the 1950s and 60s who did a lot of westerns and whatnot. William the guy's name is but, his name. Yeah, I, I, okay. we got to talk about this. And, right, go ahead. Yeah, so anyway, he tells a story, Quentin Tarantino tells a story about how he approached Burt Reynolds and says, hey, did you, you know, did you know, or do you remember William Whitney, you know, and Burt Reynolds had worked with him on, you know, some riverboat cowboy thing 50 years earlier, and Burt Reynolds immediately said, here's the thing you need to know about William Whitney. He never thought a single piece of dialogue in any TV show or movie couldn't be improved upon with yeah. a fist fight. Right. <laughs> and he would rewrite scenes because ah, I was getting right. boring. No, you don't need to advance the story without a fist fight. Totally. And, um, and, and uh, the, one of the tricks you use when you write these things, and you have exposition, you know, you have to say, uh, there was a, I remember what, there was a, um, one of the a huge, a huge uh, sitcom flop in the 90s, one that I was involved with, um, one of the ones I was involved with, uh, there, there was, is a, it was called Mad Men of the People. It started Dabney Coleman, and I forget who. And at one point, um, and he was like the irascible. Really? He was irascible? And, and his, he was irascible. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. And his daughter uh, has somehow had gotten the job of being his boss. His daughter was like part of the company that bought his, the village boys, basically. And she's, uh, she and her father have a fight, and she's talking to her mom, and... 
her mother says, well, you know, you know your father. And then she says, I think for a page and a half dialogue, Mom, six months ago, I was the editor-in-chief of a large magazine group. We had fashion magazines and cooking magazines. And then my boss, Steve, he came into my office one day and told me he had bought the Village Voice. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then he said to me, no, you're going to run the Village Voice. And I thought, oh, God, now I'm Dad's boss? So then I go in, and another page of – all this stuff happened before the pilot. And, and she's telling this thing to her mother, who then I believe should have won an Emmy for looking at her and nodding like, oh, geez, this, this is all new information yeah. to me. I simply <laughs> didn't know any of this stuff that happened in my family. Um, and my so we used to say, like, the, the way you – yeah, exactly. The way you do exposition, if you can't put two nude people behind you, is you have two people fight about it. Oh, no, no, it was Thursday when I stole the money with you. No, 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 it was not Thursday. It was Friday. Mm-hmm. You okay. stole the money on Friday, and then you get on, and then you're listening to argument, and you're getting the information, and nobody knows that it's like, it's just shoehorned in. Well, that was like that fantastic joke in Austin Powers, right? Hello, Austin. This is Basil Exposition from the British Secret Service. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> um, I, oh, can I tell you I heard a great joke the other day? Yeah, oh, wait, no, tell you us. Really want to talk about something else? It's not. A, it's it's like a philosophical joke that really, for some reason, made me laugh. Um, New York City, right after the war, or maybe it's during the war. Two babies are born, two boys, and they're born, and they are in the same hospital, and then they are next to in the cribs next to each other in the maternity ward, and they're there for a few days next to each other, next crib, and then. The parents come pick them up, and then they take them home, and then these boys never see each other again. And they have lives, and they get married, and they have children, and they have careers, and they have setbacks, and they have successes, and they have all sorts of things. And then, you know, they could be their 80s or even their 90s, and they both get sick, and now they're in the hospital again in New York City. And they're in two beds right next to each other. And one of them turns to the other and says, So what do you think? <laughs> Uh, that's a beautiful. That's actually that? a beautiful. I, like beautiful that. I think that's a beautiful. I, I think that's a beautiful joke. I honestly think that's a beautiful joke. Yeah. Hey, Pod. Um, before we get to uh, the Quentin Tarantino stuff, uh, can I ask you? Have you seen The Shrink Next Door? Um, I've seen two episodes of The Shrink Next Door, and I listened to the entire podcast of The Shrink Next Door. And because I, 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 you can tell us what you think about it in a second, but um, uh, so maybe it's because I wrote this thing about white privilege uh, last Friday, this Goldberg file thing, and while I was sort of between episodes of, of the Shrink Next Door, and it occurred to me like I, I got no problem with non-Jewish people playing Jewish people. I mean, I really don't, and I think they do an okay job. It's a little heavy-handed at times, but whatever. Um, but it's funny to me in that, like, we now live in an age where Hispanic people have to play Hispanic roles. Hispanic roles have to be given to Latinx people. And obviously, like, you, we could never, ever, 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 ever have something like um, the, the black character from Tropic Thunder mm-hmm. ever again, right? Um, and it seems to me that, like, this was... And at least auditorily, the, it was like they were wearing mm-hmm. Jew face. Two of them, right? And Will, Will Ferrell and yeah, Captain they're, they're both Paul Rudd well, and Paul Will Ferrell. Jewish, and so that's a that's a he's 
Well, no, Paul Jewish. Rudd is Jewish. Oh, Paul Rudd Will Ferrell is not Jewish, okay, and his sister enough. Catherine okay. Hahn, who, play, who plays his sister, is also not Jewish. So, yeah, sure, she's going to get an Emmy. Uh, I think she's really good. But, um, and there's a certain kind of thing. It's weird. It's like, well, this ethnic group now has this privilege where they're allowed to complain about the inherent bigotry of having people who aren't part of their group play them in film and TV, but Jews aren't given that privilege in society. And I'm not saying they should right. be. I think the other ones should have that taken away. But it 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 really is like, you know, just like Jess watches me squirm yeah. watching it sometimes because it's so over the top in the sort of Jewiness of it. Okay, um, I, have anyway, two, I have two thoughts just, about this. Uh, number one, uh, Jews don't complain about this because for many years it was almost a Jewish conspiracy to cast Gentiles as Jews in Hollywood in a weird way to get to make Jews more palatable and nicer and friendlier and more and more welcoming to American audiences. Uh, in the studio days and afterward, there was there was it was almost a weird predilection. Uh, my favorite example being, and this is much later, but they made Brighton Beach Memoirs, Neil Simon's autobiographical play about his family, right. and Blythe Danner and Judith Ivey played the two Jewish mothers. Like, that is that is, <laughs> that is where you get a little, you know, crazy. But um, what I wanted to say was that, um, remember I said at the beginning of this uh, podcast that, like, nothing is good for the Jews? The Shrink Next Door is not good for the Jews. I just want to make this very clear. If you care about the Jewish people, if you care, if you believe in the survival of the Jewish people and you don't want the Jewish people to be in bad odor, do not watch The Shrink Next is Door. Is it funny, though? Is it supposed to be funny? Well, no, but it's a real story about a about a, um, a psychiatrist who kind of works a 30-year oh, con on right. this weird loser guy uh, whose life he takes over and kind of... Um, Possible or not to, right? I mean, if you were a shrink, if you were not a, not a good person, but you're just a shrink, wouldn't it be hard not to like? No, no. He like moves into his house. He takes over his house. He makes the guy be a uh, cleaning person. He takes his money and uses it for yeah. his own charitable purposes. And uh, one of the things that is fortunately not quite written very hard either in the podcast or in the show, but is they're they're orthodox. They're Orthodox Jews, so it the is rabbi not. Say, hey, this is my this is my rice bowl. What not, are you doing? It, <laughs> is, it is not good. So am I not getting not it? good for the Jews? The other thing that was <laughs> okay. I think amusing is Will Ferrell is a very good actor and he tries very very hard. But there is a scene where he actually has to pray in Hebrew uh, in a synagogue that um, is 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 when he's reading absolutely agonizing to watch because. This guy, the actual well, it's guy. It's not a lot of fun to watch no matter what. Yeah, I know, but this, uh, the actual person, given everything we know about him, uh, would right. have been uh, entirely fluent in being able to read this. And, and I mean, it was as though, you know, he was a dyslexic three-year-old uh, doing it. And it was, it's very discomforting. And that often happens when people use Hebrew in movies. Helen Hunt, uh, who is herself half Jewish, made a movie called Then She Found Me, in which she says, um, she says a prayer in Hebrew and says and uses the sound when it's just you know it's not a, it, there's not a it's just an h sound 
Um, and it's like, <laughs> oh, don't even whoa. do it. Like, if you yeah, can't, she should be executed no, but for it's, that. No, but I bought this great <laughs> yeah, no, but it's like, if you're going to do that, if you're going to do that, that sounds very if you're going to do that, don't do that. You know what I mean? It's like, it yeah. immediately, for anybody who wants authenticity, it throws you out and says, oh my God, that's like the most embarrassing mistake I've ever heard. And for you, you don't know the difference. Yeah. So you could just have said it in English. Yeah, me neither. In the uh, uh, those fifties, the movies, in the, there's the Doris Day movies. You know, they're all written by Jewish people, and they didn't bother to change any of the dialogues. There's one Doris Day movie I can't remember what it was, where she's like talking about. She's I think maybe a Rock Hudson movie where she's saying, you know, if you do this, you do that. And like she goes, if you do this one more time, I'll give you such a punch. It's like, <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, five more minutes on the, you know, on the anglicizing of that of that. I'll, I'll give you such a punch. I, I quickly have to tell you about this movie, Licorice Pizza, only because uh, it involves somebody that Rob knows and has worked with. There is a fantastic scene in Licorice Pizza, which is based uh, very loosely on the life of Tom Hanks's producing partner, a guy named Gary Getzman, who was a child actor in the 60s. Sure. And he was in a movie called Yours, Mine, and Ours, which people may remember was uh, Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda, and they merged their family, and they have 12 children or something like that. And there's a scene in the movie in which the kid, Gary, goes to New York to be on the Merv Griffin show, some version of the Merv Griffin show, and the star, Lucille, who is just called Lucille, is not called Lucille Ball, uh, play is, uh, you know, it introduces all the kids and they do this horrible production number uh, off bunk beds, which is the theme song from Yours, Mine, and Ours, the movie Yours, Mine, and Ours, which when you hear it, if you've ever seen it, you'll remember. And, um, Lucille is played by Christine Ebersole, uh, an actress of oh. uh, who was one year on Saturday Night Live, and then she's a big Broadway star. She has a beautiful singing voice. Many Tonys. She is. This is a two and a half minute performance in this movie, and I know you know Nicole Kidman is in a movie right now where she plays Lucy yeah. for two hours. And I don't care. I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's awful because it's Aaron Sorkin. It's going to be awful. It's like Aaron Sorkin trying to be funny is like me trying to be a mm-hmm. physicist. Painful. She is so fantastic. She is so absolutely fantastic. Uh, Christine's great. Um, Christine, by the way, also is like super game all the time. She's a super tro- she's uh-huh. a trooper. We we did a scene with her once, and uh, basically it was set in a bar, and the bar had to close because it had some um, uh, violations, health code violations. They had to close for two days, and everyone was so upset. But the, the people who go to the bar were so incredibly, again, they didn't want to break the spell. They needed to go to that bar every day. So they opened up the back, and they would come into the storeroom, and they would kind of have a mini bar. But, all, but everything broke down, so eventually it became they had uh, – <laughs> they were drinking, and they had cockfights. And that was the idea. It was like when you don't have – when you can't come in the front door, everything falls apart. And so he had Christine, who was one of the big barflies, there in a scene, and she's got a chicken, a, a fighting chicken under her arm. It's when the, the the star, the owner, comes in and discovers what his, his patrons are doing when he's not in the bar. And and, and so we're trying to get it right, and the chickens are weird, and she has it. And uh, and at one point, she says, hey, and I'm behind the camera. She, I'm, not, I'm not directing, but I'm, I'm, I'm behind the camera line. She said, hey, Rob, um, do we have a medic? I said, yeah, Christine, everything all right? She goes, well, I just, when we're finished, I think I need someone to look at the, the, the chickens clawing and has opened a wound in my side. <laughs> and she's like super, super cool, and um, and all right, yeah. I mean, should we stop? Not you? No, no, no. Let's get the shot. Let's get the shot. But I think I might. I would you like somebody to look at it? 
I'm like, yes, of course. I, I, then, then I said, but by the way, Christine, the chickens are clean. I promise they're clean. She goes, I know. I just like, and me, so we're shooting. And then before we shoot, I had cameras. Said, Christine, just one more time. How many Tonys do you have? And she said, I have two Tonys. Please let me do the scene with the chicken. <laughs> so, like, she's really funny, and she she's great. She's just a hundred like there there are yeah. actors like that. They give you mm-hmm. everything uh-huh. you want, full speed. Mm-hmm. And if you tell them, okay, just turn it six degrees to the left yeah. or whatever, they turn it exactly six degrees, and they'll give it to you that way until you. Well, this pizza is full of these jewel little performances. One of the reasons that is so worth seeing. There's that. There's Sean Penn playing William Holden. Uh, although he's called Jack Holden for some reason. Um, there is Bradley Cooper playing John Peters, the hairdresser boyfriend of, of Barbara Streisand, called John Peters because I assume John Peters did something really horrible to Paul Thomas Anderson, the writer-director of Licorice Pizza, and this is <laughs> the revenge 25 years later, uh, and well-deserved. Um, anyway, but uh, I love an uh, actress named Harriet Harris, who plays an agent. My wife's an agent. Oh, she's anyway. It's just one of those movies that has the have these little moments where you can see that Anderson is like, oh my God, I'm capturing lightning in a bottle here. Like I, these, the yeah. what, what's happening here he is good performance. He, gets he good always does, but this is this is a this is uh, something special. You know what else is special? The X chair. Because how about a gift? It's the holidays. You deserve a gift. Give yourself a gift that it gives you joy and comfort every day, all year long. A gift that looks as good as it feels. A gift that will actually pay for itself in terms of how much productive you'll be at work. I'm talking about giving yourself the gift of an X chair. I absolutely love mine. It's by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair I've ever used. And honestly, it's also probably the coolest looking piece of furniture I own. Not only is X chair the world's greatest office chair, but with its patented LMX technology, it doubles as a massage chair and can either cool or warm your back. Can you your office chair do that? I don't think so. Now is the perfect time to purchase an X chair. Buy early, buy now, and here's X chair's holiday gift to you. Save $100 off your X chair just by purchasing it at xchairglop.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, G-L-O-P.com. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairglop.com and save xchairglop.com. And let me also talk to you about ExpressVPN. Because uh, using the internet without ExpressVPN is like leaving your keys in your car while you run into the gas station for a snack. You know, most of the time you're fine. But what if you come back to see someone driving off with your car? Maybe Rob would do this because he had to keep the battery running. But it generally is not a wise move. And it would be hard to admit, but there's no denying you should have taken the simple precaution of turning the engine off. Though, of course, if you're Rob, if you turn it off, it wouldn't go back on again so no one could steal it. But that is an analogy that doesn't help with the rest of this ad because the same is true of the data on your laptop. What's there is valuable, and with ExpressVPN, you can keep it out of reach from crooks every time you connect to an unencrypted network at all. Those public places, we jump online, cafes, hotels, airports, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data. It doesn't take a genius with much technical knowledge to hack someone. Your data is valuable. Hackers make good money selling personal info on the dark web, and that's why ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the Internet and keeps those dastardly hackers out. It's so secure that even a hacker with a supercomputer would be stuck waiting over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. With all that security, you'll be shocked at how easy it is to use. Just fire up the app, 
and click one button for protection. It works on all your devices, allowing you to stay secure even on the go. So secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash glop. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash glop. And you can get an extra three months free, expressvpn.com slash glop. Uh, so it's the end of the year. Anything anybody want to say about 2021 except that it's it's the second year in a row we wished we will never live through again and about which we will have very little nostalgic feeling? <laughs> Am I wrong? Is there anything this year that you're going to think like, oh, my God, that, it was just so great living through 2021. I got nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you got some stuff. Well, the, dis- I mean, the dispatch continues to be, you know, going from strength to strength and commentary has been wildly successful during the pandemic, but American life and life in general has been kind of crappy. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's like, remember the Cormac McCarthy book and movie, the road. Yeah. Like I sometimes feel partly because I cross across this country so many times in the last year um, or last two years to be sure. Like, if you could redo that movie where instead of Viggo Mortensen and his son just having one terrible day after another, every now and then they had, like, a nice time. Like, sort of, like, it recast it with Bob Hope and Bing Crosby having, you know, drinking puddle water or whatever. And um, I uh, – uh, there were parts of the pandemic – I mean, I'm, I was well-suited for the pandemic in the sense that yeah. I already had so many misanthropic curmudgeonly habits – of avoiding people and working by myself that it, it didn't change my lifestyle as much as it changed other people's lifestyles. But um, that part I liked and um, the travel with my family stuff was good. And, um, um, but overall, what is it Paulie says in the, um, in the Sopranos? He says, whatever year it was, you know, to paraphrase Paulie Walnuts, uh, you can take 2021 and give it back to the Indians. Um, it was overall pretty rotten. Hey, by the way, do you guys know who Polly Walnuts is? Uh, Robert Sirico, Father Robert Sirico. That's right, of the yes. Akron Institute. Yeah, that's fascinating. Both yeah. so not as good as Al Pacino being an intern at commentary, but it's up there. Yeah, both strong conservatives. Yes, Polly Walnuts. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I, I, I guess the only thing I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I feel t- the only thing that troubles me. Just on a large scale. I mean, good years, bad years. I mean, good stuff happens in bad years, and bad stuff happens in good years. You know, there's, um, you know, there are people who had, you know, fantastic life-changing moments uh, on November 22nd, 1963. That's, you know, that's just the, the statistics, right? But, um, and I don't just mean, you know, the the mob that managed to, <laughs> I don't mean that. Or LBJ, for that matter. Yeah, or LBJ. <laughs> The true, uh, you know, the true winner. Um, uh, I think only thing I'm worried about is just the memory that everything's happening so fast, uh, and and there's so much input that we just don't, we are not prepared physically, mentally, neurologically to sort through all the data. So we tend to just dump it. And I found myself being able to say things like, "Hey, remember? Wait, do, wait, you remember this though?" And it's like that was two weeks ago. Forget it. I don't remember it. Or and and sometimes that's like within sort of in a political cycle where the same people who were emphatically saying something are now saying the opposite. And I don't think they're they they're being hypocritical. I think they literally forgot what they were passionately arguing for two weeks ago. 
And that I find, I mean, the, the, what's happening to the brain, the human brain, is, um, is, is worrisome to me. I'll give you an example of that. So I was looking something up, so looking up what I read this year, and um, I found in my Kindle listings or my iBook listings or something a book called Condominium by John, John R. McDonald, and I was like, why was I reading a book by John R. McDonald? I totally forgot. And then I remembered somebody had said, you've got to read this. It was an amazing uh, prediction. It came out in 1974. It kind of predicted the Miami uh, condo collapse, the building the building condo collapse. And then I was like, oh, yeah, the building condo collapse. You remember? 150 <laughs> people died oh, in the yeah. building condo collapse. Yeah. Fell down. Uh, and uh, it was the biggest news story in America for a week, and I had completely forgotten it. And it wasn't, what was it, four months ago? I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, it breaks my heart, but that's how a lot of people feel about the withdrawal from yeah. Afghanistan. You know, and we still got yeah. Americans there. You know, we don't know how many because yeah. people lie. But Okay, can we end on a, I really end like, on an up note? My brain is. Yeah, let's end on okay. an up note. Oh, I tried it. You, you, you should end on an up note. You guys are anti-up note. Would you have an up note? Or I would say we should end. We are you should asking end for an up note, note or are you saying? Because we're, we've gone dark again, and maybe it's my fault, and I don't know. But we should end oh, on an yeah. up note. You know, you guys, you know, it's maybe apocryphal, but there's that old saw about how um, crabs, when they're in a bucket together, if one crab starts to climb out and get away, the other crabs grab it and pull it back down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you guys are towards me on this podcast. I am Captain Sunshine. I am whistling zippy doodah out Sun of my I'm, I'm Lieutenant Sunshine, at least. At the very least, I'm Sergeant Sunshine. If you're Captain mm -hmm. Sunshine. In Tokyo, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so what do you think? So what do you think? So what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can end on a good okay. note. Sure. Um, I, I think well, you know. Look, we all got too big. We all our our focus is too big. We're all looking at too many big things. Let's look at small things. All these small things you can you, you can do you could do you could do four really nice things and and we'll get and recompense twelve really nice things between now and Christmas Day. And it won't have anything to do with anybody you tweet at or any piece you write or read or any argument you get into. It'll just be simple, weird, small stuff, which in your brain, neurologically, chemically, will have exactly the same impo impact on your mood in your life. Um, and that's what I would say is that it's, a it's an incredibly long movie. It's has parts where you just think to yourself, please turn this off. But it's still a great movie. Nicholas and Alexander, not Nicholas and Alexander, Fanny and Alexander. Um, Nicholas and Alexander, that's funny. Fanny and Alexander. Uh, it's the it's a Bergman movie, and it's like it's like sixteen hours. Um, I think it's near one of his last ones, and it's, but it's great, and it's huge, and a lot of it takes place at Christmas time, and, the, and it's, it's a theatrical family, and the uncle, um, uh, the uncle gives a speech at this big sumptuous Christmas feast with all this incredible food, and the family's there, and they're like a family of actors, and it's a like big old house, and he gives a speech, and he says, yeah, you know what, live. He says to the family, live in the little world. That's what I would say. I, I, I can't top that. Yeah. I, what do you think? 
What'd you think? What'd you think? <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Crushing morosity. <laughs> On Christmas Eve, the Gentiles gather round the Christmas tree. They stay at home and party with their Goyesha family. They disappear one day each year and pass the eggnog round. But it's all right, because that's the night the Jews control the town. Join the conversation.